This morning, I'm really excited. I'm going to be sharing about a passage that I came into, like, kind of dreading talking about. I was talking to Christina about it earlier in the week. I was like, I don't know about this passage. I'm struggling with the idea of prayer and lots of things. And, and I realized I didn't even understand the passage uh, until I started really looking at it and reading it. And it's a really just powerful story. And uh, before I begin, though, I want to show you some images on the screen behind me. And as uh, Tim is kind of scrolling through these images, I'll just say that all these images are from protests and demonstrations across our world um, against many injustices that we've seen in our world. Some of them are from the past, and most of them that I have up here in my slideshow are more recent. You know, I'll say that I'm going to guess that most people in our world are pretty uncomfortable with the idea of protest. Um, protests can sometimes be very intense, angry, loud, demanding. Often laws need to be broken uh, during protest. Sometimes businesses in the areas where they're protesting, often in downtown communities, these businesses often lose customers and are impacted by them. Traffic sometimes is shut down, which really just upsets tons of people. People in power are called out very specifically, often loudly, and held accountable. You know, the whole point of a protest is to make people uncomfortable. That's the whole point of them. Uh, to put pressure, enough pressure, on people who are in power so that they have no choice but to relent and to give in. That's kind of the whole purpose. Frederick Douglass famously said these words way back in the day in 1857. He said, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. The woman in our story for today understood this that power concedes nothing without a demand. I'm going to read our story from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. The words will be on the screen behind me. Once again, the lectionary has taken us to this story. I believe that the things I'm going to share are faithful to the Word of God and what Jesus is teaching us. And often Jesus can be um, a bit uncomfortable and fairly radical and very straightforward and I think this parable is a powerful one for us that ought to challenge us and perhaps encourage some of us as well this morning. My uh, heading says the parable of the persistent widow. And these headings were added in later. They weren't part of the original text, but I think this is a good heading for this story. The parable of the persistent widow. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared not God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God, or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. 
And will not God bring justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on earth? This is the Word of God for the people of God. Amen. So just before these verses that we're reading today, Jesus just said some pretty difficult words. And it's always good when you're reading a particular text to to look and see what comes before. Because often what comes right before is connected to what you're reading in that given moment. In our Bible study that we're doing downstairs, um, we're learning these principles that the, the whole book is connected. And even the books of the Bible are connected to one another. But when you read a story, it's always good to look to what is said before. And this is a continuation of the stories and the things that were going on right before this particular text. What Jesus has just done, he had just said some difficult words. He had just said some things that maybe would have discouraged his disciples. He had just told them that they were going to suffer many things, or that he was going to suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He told them about the coming of the kingdom of God and its fullness and how it wasn't going to happen right away, and they were probably getting anxious and be like, what does that mean? He told them some crazy stories about what would happen when the Son of Man, which is the way he referred to himself, and so he told them some stories about some crazy things that were going to happen when he finally returned. They were probably confused, stressed out, and anxious. And so he told them a parable, a story, to encourage them and to help them hold fast and not give up when things get hard. Are any of you tempted to give up right now? Are any of you struggling to hold fast? Are you feeling like you might lose heart and give up pursuing the things God's called you to pursue in this world, pursuing God's justice in this world? Well, this story is also for you. So before commenting on this particular parable, I want to remind you about the purpose of parables. Parables are meant to challenge us. They are meant to provoke us. They are meant to cause us to think differently about how we live our lives in this world. It's the whole purpose of them. So if you ever read a parable and you're a little confused or it prompts you to think or you don't quite know what Jesus is saying or you feel uncomfortable, you feel challenged, that's the whole purpose of these stories. Jesus was on a mission to help us see the world differently. He wanted us to have eyes like that of God so that we can see ourselves differently. We can see each other differently. We can see our world differently. And he often used parables as a way to tackle some difficult subjects and talk about things that were maybe harder for people to process and deal with. You know, we have a tendency uh, to spiritualize all the parables that Jesus told. And to turn them into allegories and think, well, God's got to be one of the characters. We're one of the characters in the story. Y'all are one of the characters in the story. And we tend to to take these like kind of like earthy stories and we turn them into things that are about heavenly things. Y'all may have heard uh, the phrase before that people often describe the parables as earthy stories with heavenly meanings. All right. And, And I think there's some truth to that. But I think that instead, uh, we ought to think of them as earthy stories with heavy meanings. 
as uh, Ched Myers points out. Because these stories are not just about heavenly things. These are stories about everyday stuff that we deal with here in this world. I would encourage you all to resist any interpretation of the parables that are only about spiritual things. Because often those interpretations fail to actually challenge the way we live our lives. You know, an an example of this, today's parable is a perfect example. Often people read this parable and they think it's only about prayer. When the parable clearly is a story about the way people in power treat vulnerable people, it's a story about how vulnerable people have the power to affect change for justice in their own lives and in the world. And so I think we need to pay attention to what's actually happening in these stories and realize that there's more than one thing going on here. Jesus was a brilliant teacher. And He told these stories about real life things to help people think about what they're doing in their real lives and how they're living. And also think about spiritual things. For Jesus, the spiritual and the physical wasn't really separated anyway. It was all spiritual. And the way we live in our lives in this world are very spiritual things to think about. And so I want you all to... Give that idea. Earthy stories with heavy meanings. That's what we can think about when we read the parables. So let's get to the parable. He told a story about a widow and a judge. Now the judge is described as a pretty terrible person. It says he didn't fear God. He didn't care about people. It says that he was from a certain city that is not named. Now, Jesus could just be talking generally, or he could be referring to an actual city and just assume people would know what he's talking about. You know, he could say, he's from a certain city, you know, and people are, I know what city you're talking about. Maybe there was a notorious judge in a certain city that everybody would have understood who he was referring to when he told this story. It's like if I said, there was a powerful man who lived in a white house, you know? You'd be like, oh, okay, he's probably talking about the president living in the white house, right? We're not in that culture now, so there could have been things like that that Jesus was doing. There was also a widow from a certain city, the same city as the judge. Now, these two people share nothing in common except they lived in the same city. We don't know much about her, but we know she was a widow, And in patriarchal first century Palestine, widows were very vulnerable people. They needed the protection of a man um, in many circumstances so that they could survive because this culture was really um, just dominated by men and women kind of had a hard existence living in the world. This woman was dealing with some kind of issue of injustice. We don't know what it was, but we could imagine all sorts of issues of injustice she may be facing. Someone had done her wrong, And she needed a judge to help her and to help her make this situation right, come to her defense. Yet the judge was uncaring. The judge was unconcerned. We have many judges even today that are uncaring and unconcerned, that hold lots and lots of power over people's lives. She kept coming to the judge time and time again, demanding that the judge give her justice. Now, he refused for quite some time ignoring her cries for help. However, eventually he relented. He did not care about God, and he did not care about her, but he was starting to feel very uncomfortable, and he cared about himself. He was starting to feel the pressure that he needed to do something. She had made life very difficult for him. We don't know exactly how, but she had done something to make his life very hard. 
He said, the widow keeps bothering me. Other translations say that she was bringing trouble to him. And so he relented and gave her justice because he didn't want to keep dealing with this woman and also did not want her to escalate her tactics. My translation reads that I will see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come and attack me. The Greek actually uses a boxing term, which literally the judge is saying, I will give her justice so she won't come give me a black eye, is what the Greek says. And this is more than just a threat of physical violence. A black eye is also a mark of shame, right? Particularly for a powerful man back then who's a judge, shows up with a black eye, not going to be very happy. It's, it's something where he would be publicly embarrassed even. Some have argued that Jesus is painting a political cartoon here where you have a picture of a poor widow intimidating this mighty and powerful judge. It's almost humorous, right? Particularly in that world, even more so. The widow understood what Frederick Douglass understood, that power concedes nothing without a demand. She didn't get the justice she deserved and needed, and so she persisted, and she refused to relent until she got it. I love this woman. Her example is so powerful. She is bold and courageous and persistent in the face of injustice and corrupt power. I imagine many of you all can think of persistent, powerful, unrelenting women throughout history, maybe people you know personally, who worked for justice when the odds were stacked against them. They are in the legacy of this persistent widow. We don't know if she really lived or Jesus is just telling a wonderful story, but she's someone that we can look to as an example of someone with courage and that relentlessness. You know, one of the confusing and I think really cool parts of these verses is that Jesus tells us that the story is about prayer. And, and I read the story and I'm just like, what is, how does this have anything to do with prayer? That's my first thought. Um, at the beginning of the scripture we read, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So that was his purpose according to Luke. So what does this story have to do with prayer? What does this story have to do with not giving up? You know, one interpretation I've heard many times before about this passage, and I internalized this interpretation to such a degree that when I read it for the first time, I had a negative response to it. And I'm like, I don't like this story very much because it's impacted my view of God in a negative way. The interpretation basically goes like this, that God is the judge and that we are the widow, all right? And that we just need to keep on asking God for what he wants until he gets annoyed enough and he finally gives up and relents to our demands. So basically, we need to harass God with our request until he's so annoyed and feels like we've asked enough times where finally God's like, okay, you've asked 25 times now, so finally I'm going to give you what you want. But there's one big problem with this interpretation. Jesus says specifically that God is not like the unjust judge. He argues that God will not put his people off. That God will bring justice and even bring it quickly, he says. He argues that God is a good judge and longs to bring justice. And that when Jesus returns, God's justice will be enacted once and for all. So let's set aside the interpretation that says God keeps asking, or, or we got to keep asking God over and over and over and over again to finally get what we need or what we want in our lives. God is eager to bring justice. 
And we wait for the day where God will eventually come back and enact His justice in its fullness. So the question here at Embrace that we often wrestle with, and really we ought to always wrestle with, is what do we do in the meantime? What do we do while we wait for God to return and enact justice in its fullness? Jesus said that He was going to bring justice and even said quickly. And He clearly has a different definition of quickly than I do uh, because it's been a while. But we are in the middle. We are waiting. We're in this moment where we're waiting for God to return. And it's one of the great mysteries that I can't understand why it's taking so long. I don't know. But I'm holding on to the promises that God said He is going to come. And all the violence, all the suffering that we prayed about, God's going to set right. But the question is, what do we do in the meantime? Do we just come together for worship and hole up in our Christian bubbles and pray all day hoping to be spared from the corruption of the world? Well, not according to this story. Jesus told us this story to teach us something about how we live in the world in the meantime. And specifically taught that we need to always pray and not give up. So what does that mean? Well, let's look at the widow and understand what Jesus is talking about. This widow has something to teach us. I mean, Jesus used her as an example for us to follow. He used her as an example of how we ought to pray and not give up. So what does she teach us about prayer? Well, I love that she, Jesus uses this woman as an example for us when we think about prayer because she offers us a model of prayer that is quite different than what we often think of when we think of a prayer warrior. We often think of prayer as something done privately or with a small group with our eyes closed, perhaps on our knees like we did this morning. We think of prayer something done as something done in our minds and our hearts spoken with our mouths. We think of prayer that's something deeply personal and private that connects us to God. We say, I will pray for you, and that usually means that we're going to talk to God about a person's need and ask God to bless them in some way. Lately, many people have offered thoughts and prayers after terrible situations of gun violence. And perhaps those folks, they go and they pray that God would do something about the gun violence Prayer is often passive, it's personal, and it's private. Well, that is part of prayer. Much of my prayer life is done at home or outside in the wilderness in silence and solitude. However, according to Luke, prayer is much more than that. A prayerful life is seeking after God in worship and prayer, but also in action. Contemplation and prayer, I don't or contemplation and action are not two separate things. I think they go hand in hand. They must be united in the goal of seeking God's reign and justice here on this earth. We pray in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not just with our mouths, but with our actions in the way we live and work here in this world. It all goes together. Biblical scholar John Donahue sees this woman as a wonderful example of Luke's idea of prayer. And he argues that Luke understands continual prayer not simply as passive waiting, but as the active quest for justice. So not just simply as passive waiting, but as the active quest for justice. So instead of just sending up our thoughts and prayers to God and waiting on God to do something, perhaps we should consider joining our prayers with active engagement in our world. Dorothy Soule, uh, a liberation theologian from 
you know, a few years ago, done a lot of incredible work, said that prayer ultimately leads to borrowing the eyes of God, seeing the world the way God sees the world. And she challenged people, I love this, to pray with their eyes open and seek to have the eyes of God, to see the world, to see others, to see yourself the way God sees. And when we have the eyes of God, we will see the injustice and the hurt and the pain all around us, and we will be moved to compassion, which will then lead us to action on behalf of God's beloved creation. You know, when I've watched footage and seen photos of the marches and the sit-ins and the other demonstrations throughout the black freedom movement in America a few decades ago, it's interesting because I see very little distinction between prayer and action. As they marched, they prayed. As they marched, they sang. As they prayed, they marched. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said that when he was marching, he felt like my legs were praying, he said. And reflecting on his participation in the historic 1965 civil rights march from Selma to Montgomery. I want to close by showing you another image. And I read a reflection on this image online. And and you probably have seen this image before, but it was taken of a woman named Aisha Evans, and it was in Baton Rouge in 2016, kind of during all the kind of protest against police violence and the stuff around George Floyd's murder. And an Atlantic, well, this was even before that, I think, but an Atlantic article described this photo in this way. A, a single woman stands in the roadway, feet firmly planted. She poses no obvious threat. She is there to protest the excessive force which Baton Rouge police deploy against the city's black citizens. She stands in front of police headquarters, and she is being arrested by officers who look better prepared for a war than a peaceful protest. These are images that are impossible to forget, searing themselves into our collective consciousness. One man staring down a column of tanks in Tenement Square, a high school student attacked by police dogs in Birmingham, Alabama. This is such a photo. And as Elaine ends and Ched Myers point out, it's impossible by this photo to differentiate this as an image of prayer or activism. It could be either. It could be both. We see in this image, I think, a model for us. Being grounded in prayer so much so that we have the courage and strength to engage the world in action on behalf of the suffering and oppressed. So what do we do in the meantime while we wait for God's reign to come in its fullness? Well, we pray always and we do not give up. We partner with God in prayer and in action. We draw even closer to God through prayer and spiritual practices that we borrow God's eyes. We borrow God's mind and God's hand and God's heart and God's feet. And we discover such powerful unity with God that we literally become God's body here on earth, partnering with Him to see our world restored. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.